All right, I want to say hello to, uh, uh, especially this time of year, we have a number of shut-ins who are in the process of recouping and healing. One of them is Miss Mary Faberty. Everybody knows Miss Mary, or most of you know Miss Mary if you've been around here for a long time. But we say hello to Miss Mary, and we say hello to all of our nations of the world that are watching. We have a lot of our friends overseas. In fact, our Zambia team, whom we haven't even met yet, tune in every Sunday, and they watch us on, uh, on a live streaming. So, all right, can we just all say hello to all of our friends and around the nations of the world? We love you guys. And... Uh, and our friends who are recouping, we love you as well, and pray that God gets you back on your feet quickly. All right, I want to talk to you this morning, and I've been so excited to release this. In fact, I told my lovely wife this morning, I felt like my, my mouth could not keep up with my heart. Do any of you ever have that problem? <laughs> Sometimes you're so excited about what God's put in your heart that, that as you're trying to get it out, you're tripping over the words, and I felt like I was just, that my, I was so excited on the inside, I couldn't get my lips to keep up with me, but I'm praying for grace, this, this service, that that will happen. Um, but we're talking about, of course, swagger, and of course, I've been sharing that that's really, what we're really talking about is confidence and faith in God. Last week, I talked about our response to God, and, uh, and how we walk with Him, and how He develops a sense of, of holy faith in our hearts, and confidence. How many of you want to be confident in your walk with God? Uh, I mean, you want to know what you believe, you want to know when, when you're going through difficult times, you want to be able to stand and not be shaky, and not be a sissy. Now, you know, I talked to somebody last week, and they said, man, God just really challenged me, and he said, hey, how long have you known me? And the reason he said that was, you know what, you need to quit wimping out all the time when something's going on in your life. Why are you freaking out? Why, why are you living in anxiety? How long, how long have you known me? And this is what he said, Lord, forgive me, because I've known you long enough to not be acting this way. That's what I'm talking about. There's a sense of confidence that should develop with us over time. The longer we walk with God, the greater our confidence in God. That's if you have a relationship with God. This does not apply to religious people. I wish, I, could, I wish the, the subject of this message could be imparted to you through the laying on of hands. In other words, I wish we could have a prayer line and we could just say, God, I thank you that this man and this woman, they're going to become mighty men of faith and power in Jesus' name. And we anoint you with oil and then you walk out of here and all of a sudden you feel like Superman. You might feel like Superman after we prayed over you. But how many of you know you're going to go right out into a real world with real challenges and your cape's going to fall off in a second. If, if you, in fact, I'll just say this, the way you learn to be men and women of faith is by walking through this fallen, broken world with Jesus, but you've got to walk through it. You cannot develop strength in God, relationship with God, knowledge of God through osmosis, through the laying on of hands. It doesn't work that way. This all happens face-to-face, real life, real problems, real challenges, Real issues that cause us to encounter God in a way that we've never encountered him before. And I'll just say this, it's all orchestrated by God. If we could shift in our thinking, instead of viewing that the current obstacles in front of us are the devil's fault, and actually believe that a sovereign God is moving on your behalf to grow you up and to strengthen you and to bless you in spite of what the enemy's doing, if we could have that little shift, I'm telling you, it'll make you happy. Not just momentarily happy, I'm talking it will give you a perspective that causes you to completely change how you view issues and obstacles in life. Now look with me, I'm, we're going to start in Romans chapter 8, 
one of my favorite chapters and probably yours too in all of Scripture, so rich, the whole, the whole epistle of Romans, but Romans 8 has to be one of the high watermarks of, the, of all of God's revelation to us. But I want you to look what it says here in, Re- in Romans 8, 36. All day long, everybody say all day long. We face death threats for your sake, God. Now, I mean, you know, we can just pause right there. The reason that the Church of America must be engaged in missions to the unreached is if we cannot relate to that first line, we will never move into maturity. All day long, we face death threats for you, oh God. How many of you know there's not a one of us in this room that can say that? Because we're living in a nation that has experienced the blessings of a Christian heritage and Christian foundation. But how many of you also realize there are people all over the planet that, are, that could say that every day? And how many of you know we should care? And how many of you know we should do something about it? I mean, you know, we should be invested that their suffering is my suffering. And so we should never shield ourselves from the pain and the suffering and the hardship that our brothers and sisters across the globe are going through right now. In fact, how many of you have noticed there is an, almost an irrational, demonic, growing hatred for Christianity happening in America even as I speak? And I'm just telling you, we are not going to miss out on that blessing. Some of you are going, what blessing are you talking about? That all day long we're experiencing death threats for your sake. What I'm trying to tell you is that's, that is a blessing from God, and that somehow God it turns situations like that into something amazing. In fact, look at what he says next. This is incredible. All day long, we face death threats for your sake, God. We're considered to be nothing more than sheep, worthless sheep, that are set up and scheduled to be slaughtered. And look what verse 37 says. Yet even in the midst, that means in the middle, in the middle of this mess, in the middle of all these things that we're experiencing, we triumph over them all. I mean, you know, that is swagger. People are threatening to destroy you and kill you, and the testimony from God's people is we overcome all the threats. We overcome every obstacle. We overcome every challenge to our faith in Christ Jesus. I, I mean, you know, that is swagger to speak like that. We triumph over them all, for God has made us to be more than conquerors, not just run-of-the-mill conquerors, exceeding conquerors, overwhelmingly victorious conquerors. That's the promise of Romans chapter 8. That no matter what life brings our way, and here's what I want you to hear today, if we can shift our perspective and believe that if you are surrendered to God, and i got to keep driving this point home, we, I can't keep preaching to disciples who are undiscipled. I can't keep preaching to religious people who are not surrendered people. These promises are not magic pills. They work for people who are yielded to God, who know God, who have given their life to God, who are consecrated to God. Not church-going folk, but surrendered folk. You cannot pray these things with confidence if your life is a stronghold of selfishness. When all you care about is yourself, if there's compromise in your life and carnality in your life, you can put this on your refrigerator all you want. It isn't going to work. But when you're surrendered to God and you love God 
and you're fighting with the demons inside of you, the carnality inside of you, the selfishness, and you're saying, God, change me. You're a candidate to see God overcome every single thing that the enemy brings your way. See, this is... Swagger, listen, swagger has to be a part of who you are. That you know, that you know, that you know that you're a son or daughter of God. How do you know that? Because you're walking with God. Because you're obeying God. Because you're close to God. Because you're laying your life down. Because this thing is meaningful to you. And it's not just a religious game. It's not just a holiday celebration. I want to give you some principles that God teaches us in swag school. That's our lesson today, swag school. How many of you know if you have submitted your life to Christ... I already know where you're going to school, going to swag school, because God sends all of his kids for a private education at swag school. It's an exclusive school. It's only for God's people, but if you're one of God's people, I can tell you where you're going to school, because it's non-optional, but here's some principles that I want you to get, and why does God take us to swag school? To teach us how to walk in faith. Even during the most difficult times where we're shaken to the core, to teach us how to walk with holy swag. Check this out, some principles. First principle, Satan is not God's sub or, I'm sorry, Satan is God's subject. What is a subject? It's a servant. Some people fall into two mistakes today. Many people in the body of Christ have already given up on the belief that Satan is actually a created being. They think he's just a symbol for evil. It's more sophisticated and cool to believe that Satan is just a symbol. It's less sophisticated and cool to believe in a malevolent, fallen, wicked being who actually hates you and has an agenda. How many of you know the media would scoff at that? Hollywood would scoff at that. All of our power centers scoff at that. But the Bible teaches very clearly that Satan is not a symbol. He is a being. God didn't create him. As Satan, God created him as a beautiful being for his glory. But how many of you know Satan fell? And Satan is now the king of all evil and wickedness. And he has an agenda for your life. God has a great plan for your life. Can you say amen? amen. Guess what? Satan has a lousy plan for your life. And he's committed to seeing that come into pass. But here's what you need to understand. Some people picture you're in this battle, right? And on one shoulder is Jesus. And on the other shoulder is Satan. And they're both, you know, working at you to try to get you to do either good or evil. That is the most foolish conception of all times. How many of you know God is no match? I'm sorry, Satan is no match for God Almighty. It's not like they're competing. God is sovereign, and God is powerful, and he's all-knowing, and he's omniscient, and he's awesome, and Satan is not. He's not a sissy, but he's not God. He's not somebody we should trifle with or, or make light of, but he's not God. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. Satan is God's devil. And he's on God's leash. And he serves unknowingly God's purposes and designs. Now you need to hear this. He unknowingly works for the glory of God and the goodness of God's people. I gave you a little secret that could really help you out. Because when I'm going through a trial or my family's going through a trial, I am not demon or devil focused. I'm God focused. 
And I'm going, all right, something's going on here. Satan is obviously stirring some things up. But here's the question that we ask. Lord, what are you doing in this situation? And what are you trying to teach me in this situation? And what are you trying to do to bless me with something greater as a result of what I'm going through now? How many of you know perspective is huge? And when we lose proper perspective, we get all messed up. Sometimes, let me share with you, sometimes God awakens our enemies for the purpose of destroying them. When the children of Israel were trying to take over the promised land, the Bible says God stirred up kings to attack his people. Listen to me. God stirred up enemies to attack his people. Why would a good God stir up our enemies to cause our enemies to attack us so that he could destroy them? You know, we sang this wonderful song today, hallelujah, great defender, right? And did you all notice right in the middle of this wonderful chorus is a verse about us walking back with the enemy's head in our hands? I mean, we're singing these nice little happy Christmas tunes, and all of a sudden we're walking with the devil's head in our hands. I mean, I was just like, yeah, sing that again, sing that again. But you know, this is amazing to me. People get offended over that kind of language. God does not get offended about destroying enemies and chopping off their heads. I'm not talking about human enemies. I'm talking about spiritual enemies. The language of Scripture is full of swagger about how God loves to destroy every enemy that seeks to rise up its ugly head against him. And let me just say this. Part of our privilege, now hear me, part of our privilege is to co-labor with God to kill his enemies. It's a privilege. Oh God, I don't want to go through this, it's so hard. God, I don't want to face this challenge, this trial, this obstacle. God's going, would you just work with me because I'm trying to destroy what's coming against you for my glory and for your good. How about this? Have you all ever had anything rise up inside of you that actually made you ashamed of your spiritual development and growth? In other words, you asked this question. After the ugliness came out of you, how many of you know marriage is a great, a great way for God to show us what's still in our hearts? And you're just like, and you just vomit over each other, and then you go like, oh, man, that was really ugly. I teach Sunday school, and that just came out of my mouth. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And we're like, oh, devil, I rebuke you. No, you, know, here, you know what we should be doing? God, thank you for provoking the enemy inside of me so that the enemy that still is in me could show how ugly it is and that he's still inside of me. And, and thank you for exposing him so that we could kill him. Because, yeah. you know, the goal of God, if you're going to be more than a conqueror, that means that you don't just win, you win decisively. It means you don't just win this battle, but he's coming back later. It means you win so decisively that he's never coming back. And what God's trying to teach us, if there's still strongholds or ways of thinking that keep defeating us, many times he's just showing you the woundedness that's still in you so that the enemy can't prey on your woundedness. How you know the devil is the lord of the flies, and where do flies like to land? All right, we're not going to talk about it in church, but you know. They land on really gross stuff. 
If there's flies flying around inside your soul, it's because there's still wounds inside of you. And if you're still acting ugly, it's not because God's trying to shame you. It's because God's trying to expose the ugly so God can kill it. So that you can be pretty and beautiful on the inside. See how this works? So let's stop blaming the devil and start saying, God, thank you for showing me that I still need some growth in this area. Because I'm going to fight it and I'm going I'm to move from shame to swagger in this particular area of my life. Point number two, God transforms Satan's attacks for his glory and for our good. Have you noticed that the whole chronicle of, of biblical history from Genesis to Revelation deals with the fact that God makes promises to people and as soon as he does, the devil attacks the very promises and the destiny of God over those people's lives. Let me give you an example. How many of you know the story of Joseph? A favored son, right? He has a vision, a dream that God gives him. It's a dream of dominion. And instead of dominion, he finds himself in a pit. That's not dominion. That doesn't look like dominion. But God was destroying all the enemies inside of Joseph and all the enemies outside of Joseph. And God allows him to go through this terrible time over a decade, over a decade of swag school. He goes from one disappointment after the next. And let me just tell you all, you know, the Bible doesn't include every day Joseph fought depression in prison. In fact, the Bible blips over long periods of time when great saints were in swag school and they weren't feeling goosebumps. And what was happening is they had to fight for their integrity with God and they had to fight for their destiny. They had to fight for the promises of God and they had to fight to maintain their integrity with God. Guess what? Joseph passed all the tests. And you remember the day that came when all of a sudden he's looking out and he realizes after all the years of pain. Let me just tell you, you know getting separated from your family and not even seeing them for well over a decade hurts. I mean, can we just put ourselves there? Being separated from people that you love in a prison cell, being falsely accused uh, of sexually molesting your boss's wife and going to jail for it. This does not feel good. This hurts. When you're in that cold prison cell and you're hungry and you're cold and you're mistreated and God only knows what else is going on and physically you're incredibly uncomfortable, it hurts deeply. But can I just tell you something? God has not left you. God has not forgotten you. God has not forsaken you. God's in the process of promoting you. And what happened? Because Joseph passed the test is he's looking out one day and realizing he's standing before the very brothers that so desperately hurt him. And he realizes at that moment that the dream and the destiny of God came to pass. And this is that famous verse from Joseph's wife. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. And he brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Have you ever prayed that prayer? I want to challenge you. Lord, what I went through this last year or the last five years has been very painful. But God, I thank you that what the enemy has intended to hurt me, you're going to turn into great blessing. You know what that's called? It's called swagger. It's called you have information that the world does not have. It's called you know God is not finished yet writing your story or your chapter. And listen to me, you start declaring it before it even happens because you know the character of God. And he's a good God and he loves you and he's for you. And he will not allow anything that the enemy brings against you to go to waste. He will always, 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 always transform it 
for his good, or for your glory and for his good. All right, other way around. His glory, your good. How about Moses? Y'all remember Moses. How about this demonic leader who gets so full of jealousy and fear that he says, you know what, we're just going to kill all the baby boys. I mean, put yourself in, again, if we're, if we're the children of Israel, we're living in Egypt, and you're, you're expecting right now, and you know that if you have a male child, that as soon as that baby comes out of the birth canal, there's instructions given by your president to kill that baby. I mean, we just got to put ourselves in these situations. You remember the Hebrew birth mothers there, you know, that the babies came out, and the Bible says they lived in the fear of God, even though they were pagans. They were Egyptians. They didn't know God, but they had a fear of God. And the Bible says because they feared God and did not kill those children, God blessed them with families of their own. How I many know God's even into blessing people that don't know him, that actually honor him and walk in the fear of him? This is amazing. But you all know what happened. Here God takes a mother who takes her precious son with a death warrant over this boy. She puts him in a basket that she created, wove together, places it in the river. You all know the story. By chance, Pharaoh's daughter, right? By chance, how lucky, happens to show up. And here's what I love about God. Just when the devil thinks he's going to wipe out all the seed, all the sons, stop the heritage from flowing, stop the generational blessing from flowing, God has a baby placed by a mother in faith in a basket who gets hired, by the way, by Pharaoh's daughter to nurse her own baby. She gets paid to feed her own baby. How many of you know that's promotion? And then when the baby, when the baby gets older... She takes her son and she presents him to Pharaoh's daughter. And check this out. God raises up a righteous son in Pharaoh's own house under the nose of a demonic psychopath dictator to be the deliverer of the very people that Pharaoh's trying to destroy. How many of you know God takes the, 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 the vile plans of Satan and he unwittingly, he, he, Satan unwittingly is used by God to accomplish God's purposes. Who could have thought about something like that? Only God. But God raised up a little boy named Moses to deliver his people from the, and listen, it wasn't just a deliverance like we're out of here. It was a decisive deliverance. He made an open mockery of every false demon god that they worshiped. He obliterated the entire military. He destroyed their economy and he broke their power. They have never been a global power since because of what God did to them. That's the power of God. How about another story? I mean, the Bible's full of them. How about Esther, raised up for such a time as this? Uh, Haman making the, the gallows so that he could hang Mordecai, right? And the very gallows that he's fashioning to destroy not only this righteous man, but all of God's people. God sets up a plan so that his enemy is hung on the gallows that he made himself. And how about a daughter uh, named Esther, who's brought into Mordecai's family because she had no parents. Her parents were killed, evidently. She was an orphan, but she was brought in as an orphan into her, uh, what was it, would have been her uncle's family, and she, is, she becomes queen. She goes from orphan to queen. How's that for a cool story? Orphan to queen. And then God says, hey, or, or through her, her, Mordecai, he says, hey, perhaps you have been exalted as queen for this very moment right here. I mean, you know, God's story is always bigger than the devil's story. God's ending is always greater than whatever evil the enemy intended. How about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I love that story. You talk about swagger. All right, y'all, when the music plays, y'all know what to do. 
Everybody bow down or else. Can you imagine that? The music starts playing. Thousands and thousands, a sea of people all hit their faces. And there's three guys standing. That's called swagger. That's called swagger. And the Bible says Nebuchadnezzar's face became contorted. It was demonic. He was so filled with rage, his face twisted, and he was so full of anger. He said, heat it seven times hotter. You all know the story. He said, you guys are going to pay. And they said, hey, we don't care what you say. Respectfully, sir, we don't care what you say. But we're not bowing down. We're going to serve our God. We're going to live in the fear of God and honor God. Listen, no matter what. And you all know what happened. God did a supernatural deliverance. But I want you to see what happens because God's not content with just deliverance. God's always moving his agenda forward. Look what it says here. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. Oh my gosh, now the king's making a new decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. How many of you know pagan kings have a way of kind of going from one extreme to the next, all right? Uh, there is no other God who can rescue like this. And then look at verse 30. Oh, by the way, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to higher positions of authority. Please hear me. Please hear me. Can you believe that your current challenge is a platform for God to demonstrate his kindness to you and to promote you to greater spheres of influence and blessing? Or are you going, oh, the devil, if I stand up, I'm, it's going to get really hot and we're going to die. Oh. You could act like a pagan. I'm saying, why act like a pagan? You're not a pagan. Act like you know God. Act like you love God more than anything else in the whole world. Act like you're willing to risk it all for him. Put your neck out on the line. Stand for truth. And maybe, just maybe, you'll see that God has a whole other story to write about you. That includes deliverance. That includes blessing. That includes promotion. Uh, Come on, this is the way God's stories end. How about this? All right, this is the best of all. Have any of you ever heard of Jesus? You talk about getting snookered by God. All the fury of hell itself vomited out on Jesus Christ. And I don't even know when the light of the world is nailed to the cross and given up his last breath, and he yells, it is finished. Satan's cheering like crazy. He's like, we just put out the light of the world. (laughs) Every demon in hell is having a party. And you all know what happened. The Bible tells us what was going on while Jesus was in the tomb for three days. Colossians 2.15. Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and the power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his prisoner. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) the living messiah the son of god marching with every demon in hell behind him making an open spectacle of every demon a third of the of the fallen angels mocking them 
stripping them of their power and their power to accuse you. You know, I had a man I prayed for after first service. He says, you know, I'm just, you know, I, I, I feel like I don't fit in. I'm insecure. I don't belong. And on and on and on. I feel like this and this. And he's just going on and on and on. I said, every one of those things are a lie about you. But you keep listening. And the devil keeps poking at your weak spots, poking at your insecurities, poking at your wounds from your childhood. When are you going to tell him, shut up, and I don't believe that about myself? I don't believe that about myself. That's not true about me. You know, I found this about bullies. They keep poking, they keep poking, they keep poking. But when you fight back, and when you say, over my dead body, and you, with the power of the Holy Spirit, team up on a lie, and you cast that thing down, and you pummel it in the ground, and you put your foot on that thing's neck, and you cut the head off of that lie. You know what happens? The devil stops telling you those things, because you know what? He's tired of getting the crud beat out of him. He's tired of getting beat up. He's not stupid. But when you continue to listen to lies over and over and over again, and God's like, come on, why don't you believe what I have to say about you? Come on, why don't you trust me? Why don't you start telling the truth about yourself, believing the truth about yourself? That's when the enemy runs and he flees. God raised his son from the dead, exalted him 40 days later. He's seated at the right hand of power, and he is forever the demonstration that he takes, God uses Satan's stupidity to accomplish his sovereign purpose, and that if the devil gave his best shot, Jesus had a surprise for him. And that is a reminder to every single one of us, God, God promises and excels in resurrecting dead and broken people and things, including dead and broken dreams, if you'll give to God what he wants, which is our brokenness. Point number three, very quickly here. God uses Satan as his drill sergeant to prepare us for victorious living. Sometimes we got somebody in our face mocking us, pushing us, challenging us. Sometimes I've had coaches that got in my face and pushed me and challenged me uh, to, to be the best version that I can be. What Satan doesn't realize is he thinks he's doing it uh, to, to hurt us, to destroy us. But God says, oh no, you're not stupid. You're just my drill sergeant. What is, how many of you want to finish well? Let me tell you what you need to finish well. You need strength. Why is it that when you sign up for the health club by yourself, it's your New Year's resolution, that the piece of equipment that you use the least, or actually that's used the most at health clubs, use the least at health clubs? Let me get it right. Anybody know what the, what the piece of equipment that used the least at the health club? The front door. All right? Here's the deal. When you train by yourself, you never become the best version of what you could be. God employs the devil as a drill sergeant to teach us how to persevere. Why do we keep freaking out when life's not perfect and we're living in an imperfect, fallen, broken world? Why do we keep freaking out that things don't go right? Why are we still frustrated that sometimes we have to deal with sickness, or sometimes we have to deal with relational fallout, or sometimes we have to deal we're being mistreated, we're misunderstood, we're, we're lied against, we're, we're robbed financially, we're not treated the way we should be treated. Why does this stuff still shock us? As if this should not be happening. This does happen to everybody. 
This is as close to hell as unsaved pe- or as close to heaven as unsaved people are going to be, and as close to hell as believers are ever going to be. Right here. So why do we act like this stuff shouldn't happen to us? It's going to happen to you, and listen, it's God ordained that it happens to you. Because how in the world are you going to develop strength? I'll tell you how you develop strength through resistance. How anybody want to be a great lover? Okay, now I got you all. He's like, he's like, what is he going to say? I don't want to raise my hand. Okay, that was not a trick question. Does anybody want to ooze with the love of Jesus? I'm I mean, seriously. All right, let me tell you how that's going to happen. God's going to surround you with people that are so easy to love. No, he's not. You're going to be surrounded with people who misunderstand you, gossip against you, tell lies about you, steal from you, and a host of other wicked things. You know why? Not because God doesn't love me. Because God's trying to pull love out of you. And it's easy to love people that are lovable. It's hard to love people that are not lovable. Some of you say, I'm not going to pray for patience. Well, I understand. I understand. Because you know how you learn patience? By having people frustrate you and your little kingdom and my little kingdom, and we get frustrated, don't we? God, just help me to be patient like you. No, you don't pray that prayer because you know that one. That that is a setup. No, but guess what? God doesn't care because he's still going to make you patient because he loves you. And so guess what? We're going to be frustrated like crazy. We're going to have to love people that many times are unlovable. We're going to have to have faith when everything around us is shaking. And we're going to have to keep putting one foot in front of the other when we want to quit a hundred times over. Because we ain't quitters, are we? We're finishers. And how do we do this? By the grace of God, we keep putting one foot in front of the next. And here's what happens. You learn the power of endurance, and like a good soldier, you can fight. You can fight. Man, I'm telling you, the church in America, we need, we need the enemy to help us to become strong soldiers. Look what it says here in James chapter 1, verse, verses 2 through 4. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, can anybody say amen to that? Amen. See it as an invaluable opportunity. Wait a minute, what, what did that verse say? It just said when we're dealing with nothing but hard times, we should see it as an incredible opportunity. An opportunity for what? To experience the greatest amount of joy that you can. I'm telling you, this guy's either whacked out or, or he knows something we don't know. Do you know what the, the, the epitome of swagger is? It's when you laugh in the face of difficulty. You know, nothing ag- aggravates somebody more than if, you're, if someone's coming up with a bully and they say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay you out, you know, and you go, <laughs> I, I mean, that's not what they like. And let me just tell you why this is the epitome of swagger. Psalm chapter 2, the nations are raging against God. They're shaking their fists against God. And the Bible says God sits in the heavens and. Let me tell you what else swagger looks like. Sleeping in a boat in the midst of a storm. When the disciples are going, we're going to die. And Jesus is sleeping. How many of you know it isn't just that God's a heavy sleeper? All right. Jesus is acting. 
Jesus is acting as a human being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And he's sleeping when everybody else is freaking. It's called swagger. It's what God's trying to develop in us. It's, a, it's an incredible and valuable opportunity to experience the greatest joy we can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then, as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there's nothing missing and nothing lacking. Isn't this a great promise? We need, sometimes, sometimes as an act of faith, the best thing you can do is choose to laugh out loud. Get in the presence of God. You know, when everything's falling apart, your dishwasher, refrigerator, the dog, I mean, you know, I don't care what it is. I mean, I'm being a little facetious there, but what if it's some of the greatest things going in your life the devil likes to pile up? Sometimes you just need to get with your spouse in the kitchen and say, let's laugh together, because you know that's all we can do, because this is crazy. And what you do is you just go, hallelujah. God, we trust you. I don't know how you're going to do all this, God, but check this out. We belong to you. Our house belongs to you. Our dog belongs to you. My car belongs to you. My kids belong to you. My life belongs to you. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know that you are. And so I'm just going to crack up right now. So you say, that's a strange way to show faith. It's a great way to show faith. Nothing ticks the devil off more than a bunch of Christians laughing in the face of hardship. Let me tell you this, point number four, quickly here. God gets the victory, and we get the spoils. I want to get your heart happy today. The goal of a trial or obstacle is not survival. It's promotion. King Jehoshaphat was attacked by an army, a bunch of armies, that were seeking to destroy God's people. And he went before the Lord, and the, the short story is God gave them a supernatural victory over their enemies. But I want you to see this. This is Second Chronicles chapter 20. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder, it took them three days just to collect it all. On the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that very day because the people praised and they thanked the Lord there, and it is still called the Valley of Blessing today. Now, I want you to see this. Some of you got to get this. You got to get this. They were facing a demonically huge enemy that was out to destroy them and in the natural would have destroyed them, but they knew God, and they went before God. And God gave them a supernatural victory. But they didn't just defeat the enemy. They were enriched through the process. you got to hear this. When God takes you through something, it's not to get you through it. It's to enrich you. I'm not talking just about material things. I'm talking about spiritual things. How many of you know when you have been through a trial that breaks you, the pain of it hurts you? And then you encounter somebody who needs ministry. You know what you have? Compassion. When I went through some of the most painful seasons of my life, you know what? I didn't have the luxury to quit. I didn't have the luxury to stay at home. I'm the pastor. I got to show up. And you know what? And I got to preach. Try that sometimes. When you feel like all hell is doing a, a, a body slam on you and you're supposed to get up and encourage people. 
I mean, no, you got a lot of personal fighting to do even to be able to get here and show up. But I'll tell you what, I went through a season when I couldn't pray for anybody without bawling my eyes out. Because God took, as a younger man, someone who was more confident, strong, had some successes, I wasn't walking with a limp, Man, I was, you know, I was bold, but my boldness was, wasn't always Holy Ghost-inspired boldness. Some of it was Ron's boldness. You may know what I'm talking about. And after God allows the enemy to crush you a little bit and to break you and to be more reliant and to get the junk out of my heart, you know what I got out of that experience? I got enriched. Because I'm a different person. God. Uh, And when you've had to walk through pain and God's been faithful, you can make other people rich. And when you're walking through valleys, and valleys in the Bible are not symbols of blessing and prosperity and goodness. Valleys in the Bible are always, we talk about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Valleys are low places and painful places. But what they did that day is they're collecting stuff for three days. They said, we're gonna rename this valley. We're going to call this valley the valley of blessing <laughs> because God's the only one that can take you through incredible pain and turn the valley into a valley of blessing to where you look back on the pain and you go, thank you, Lord. I didn't want to go through this. I hated it when I was in the middle of it. But, Lord, I've come through the fire, and I'm a better man because of it. I've come through the fire, and I understand your heart more than I did before. I've come through your fire, and I've learned that there's strength in places that I didn't know was strength, because in my weakness, God, you became strong. And God, I am enriched. I am enriched. And check this out. When you allow God to process you through the valley, God always brings you out on the other side with more to release. And when you have more to release, you're able to bless a whole bunch of other people. Because listen, even your coming through it is not about your coming through it. It's about God bringing you through something to experience more of him so that you can release more of him to other people. Let me end with one last story, and then we're going to pray. I'm going to have our worship team come up here. King David had the worst day of anybody's life, the worst day anybody could have. That's when he came back to Ziklag, which was his little compound there, and all of, all of their community was, was gone, the, and the whole town was burnt to the ground. And David had lost everything, and his men wanted to stone him. Remember that? They wanted to kill him right there on the spot. But the Bible says David got alone, and he encouraged himself in the Lord. And he got a word from God, and the word from God was this. God said this, you're going to pursue them, you're going to overtake them, and you're going to recover everything. How many of you know that's God's pattern for your life? You're going to pursue, you're going to overtake, and you're going to recover all. You know what? When God, when God allows the enemy to mess with my life, and I've experienced some loss, I don't sit back and take it. I get angry. I get angry at the enemy. I say I'm sick of what my sin or the sins of others has cost me as a man of God. You know, David, he said this to David, not you're going to recover all. He said you're going to pursue, which means you better get some fight in you. It means you better go after what's valuable to you and not sit back. Can I just say this to some couples in here right now? 
Your marriage is valuable and priceless. You have got to pursue the purposes of God when the enemy is trying to steal from you. You have to pursue God. You have to have in your spirit that you're going to pursue and you're going to overtake. You're not going to sit back and get your brains beat out. You're going to win. And thirdly, you're not getting back some things. You're getting back everything. And you don't settle for anything less. Look at what the Bible says. I'm closing with this verse. Look what the Bible says. When David arrived at Ziklag after pursuing, overtaking, and recovering all, David sent part of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends. This is what he said. Here is a present for you taken from the Lord's enemies. Oh, I love this. Hey, Joe, I want to bless you with these gold bars here. This is, a, this is a gift for you, my brother, my elder. I took them from the Lord's enemies. All right. God defeated our enemies, and now I've got so much, that's yours. All right. Hey, my brother, here's some for you. Here's some for you. Oh, let me show you what I got for you, my friend. Come on. Thank you. Can you get what God's doing? God is not about... God is not about just bringing us back to a place of security. God is about advancing and not only taking back what's ours, but taking ground. Taking ground. Moving forward. Getting more. Larger. Bigger. More of God. More souls. More nations. More resources. More land. More building. More, 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 more. Get a fight in your spirit for what God wants to do. You've got to see it. My dad, I took, I took something off of his desk that forever has changed me. It's a little sign. Some of you saw it. Thou shalt not whine. That is so my dad. Never whined about anything in his life. Thou shalt not whine. Why? It's unbecoming to God's people. It is not becoming to people who walk in faith. We don't whine. We worship. We don't whine. We confess the word of God. We don't whine. Sometimes we're down and we are full of tears and brokenness, but we get with people who love God and we get strength and we get people lifting us up. But we don't whine. We don't shrink back. We don't quit. We don't stop. We don't compromise. We don't check out. We win. And we win, and we always win, because that's the kind of God we serve. And even in the midst of what looks like losses, we remind ourselves, we are winning right now. God is setting up the enemy for his glory and my good, and I am going to win. I am going to win. I'm going on to breakthrough. I'm going to see the promises of God fulfilled in my life. That's what we learn to do. You might not be there right now. You might have never done this in your life right now. I'm trying to equip you right now that if you will pursue God and learn to overtake those things in your life and recover what God has, you'll be a person. Check this out. You'll be the tree planted by the rivers of living water, green no matter what's going on. And listen to me, bearing fruit in all seasons, you'll be feeding other people. Other people will feed off of your strength. Other people will be gathered around you. Some of you are already magnets for broken people. You know why you're a magnet for broken people? There's a strength inside of your heart from walking with God that gives people hope. You're a hope dealer. 
All right, you're a hope dealer. Every people come to you, you give them hope. How come you give them hope? Because you know what God is like. Because you've seen what God does. Because you know how God finishes writing stories. So if you're in the midst of chapter seven and it stinks, it just stinks. You know what I'm going to tell you? Chapter eight's coming. It's getting better. The, the chapter nine's going to be even better. The finale is going to be phenomenal. I can't wait till you see it because here's the other thing. That someday, we're going to move from going through trials and tribulations to receiving a crown. Come on. Eternity is the great equalizer of everything. And I like to say this for all those saints across the globe who willingly gave their lives, shed their blood, saying Jesus is more valuable than life itself. And the devil's like, ha ha, you lost. Oh my gosh. Can't wait to see Coronation Day on the other side. We don't lose. We don't lose. We win. And we win big. And we take ground. And we win with enough to bless a whole lot of people. That's what it is. Stay on your feet. Stay on your feet. I want to pray for some of you today. We want to pray. I want our worship team to sing. But I want our, I want our uh, pastors and elders and some of our other ministry team to come up here. And we want to pray for people today. And I, can we sing that song about, about the head in our hands? I know it's different. I'm, sw- I'm switching gears on you. Can we sing that one? And if you want to sing that verse like 10 times in a row, that's okay with me. Because uh, I was just thinking of a nice warm Christmas message, and this came to my mind today. What do you guys think? We doing all right? I think it's a great Christmas message because it's about Jesus conquering all of our enemies. Amen? But listen, sometimes you just need to declare some things, and you need to, you need to let God touch you in here. And we want to stand with you today and do that. Marriage class today at 4. Don't forget Andrew's ordination tonight at 6.30. It's going to be an awesome party. Father, I bless these people now in Jesus' name. And just pray, God, let us get our swagger back this week. Let us walk in the power and confidence this week for your glory and our good in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. If you need to go, do so. If you want to hang out with God here a little bit, let's do that together, all right?